0: So thank you for coming tonight. Welcome to Bible Study. We're glad you're here. We're going to start our time in prayer and go from there. So let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, this time to get together, this place to get together. We pray as you are here with us, we've gathered in the name of Jesus. Uh, You say you're here in our midst. So we ask that you teach us tonight. We ask that you would enlighten us. We pray that you would uh, help us to have a deeper, better, more clear understanding of who you are. And I pray that your word is just real and is really effective in challenging us and bringing us to places of change and places of decision in our lives. God, we ask that you would have your way, that we would be open to what your Holy Spirit wants to say and what he wants to do. And we just pray, simply have your way, God, as we yield ourselves. And we ask, God, that you would speak tonight, for we ask it in Jesus' name. amen amen Amen. if you want to turn your Bibles uh, John chapter 6 is where we're going if you need a Bible they're up here on the table feel free Uh, you can use it or have it or do whatever you want there but they are available right there right there and as you're turning just a reminder to uh, those that may not be here physically present if you do have any questions that you would like to uh, bring to our attention here. Uh, you can leave your question at www.speakpipe.com slash Study, all one word. And it gets emailed to one of us. And we'd be happy to play that and answer the question that you may have. And we invite you to participate in what we're doing that way. John chapter 6. Verses twenty-eight twenty-nine. John six, twenty-eight, twenty-nine. If anybody would like to read that. Then they asked him, What must we do what must we do to do the work of God apart? His answer, the work of God is to believe in the one he has done. Alright, thanks for reading that. Uh this is taking place if you turn back and or look back into this chapter, it's taking place after Jesus had fed the multitude. It was just right after that, and he had gone away uh, after he fed the multitude and gone to the other side of the lake. And so they finally figured out that he wasn't there, and the Bible talks about them heading around the lake because they couldn't cross the same way he did, or they weren't going to. And so they went around the lake to try to find him on the other side of the lake, and they did end up finding him. And so fresh in their minds, fresh in what they were thinking, was they had witnessed a a miracle of multiplication, because they saw how much food was available. They saw what started, what they started out with, and then how much food was left over after they were all finished eating. And they had collected food in baskets after the fact, so they just really saw that God did, that Jesus did quite a miracle in feeding that multitude. The issue that really came up after this were their motives. The idea was. What were their motives for following him? And he really cuts through all of that. If you go later on in this chapter, there's another section that I quote a lot and that I talk about a lot where these people that had followed him all around the lake, I mean, you have to appreciate their uh, willingness to travel all that way just to see him and just to uh, hear about what was going on. But they, the problem was is that they had an expectation that this was going to happen where he was going to be feeding multitudes now and uh, I was reading a, just a, some, somebody was writing about this particular miracle and they called it one of Jesus's most popular miracles like how do you know that? I mean there was no good polling back then or anything right I mean uh, you know rate Jesus's miracles one to ten or whatever I don't know and and so but it's called that in a number of places I was reading that this, this was Jesus' most popular miracle. And the first thing that came to mind was, yeah, it's because more people benefited from it all at once. You know, in other words, like you had miracles where Jesus would raise the dead. Well, the dead guy was really happy about it, and maybe his family. Or you had, you know, <laughs> miracles where, where Jesus would heal somebody, and that person was happy about it, and maybe their family. Or other things that would happen like that are deliverance miracles or things like that that would would happen along the way and there would be groups of people or single people that would be really happy about it but it really didn't affect everybody even though people would be excited they would oh wow did you see what he just did oh he just raised the dead really excited about that it was pretty exciting but they didn't directly benefit from what he did now this miracle and the other one that was sort of like it a lot of people benefited from it all at once in other words you know, four thousand, five thousand, however many people were there benefited from this miracle at the same time. They all ate and they were filled. And so in that sense, I can see why this would be one of his more popular miracles because 5,000 people or however many people were there just benefited from it all at once. And so this multitude followed him around. Now, if you know the story, what happens after this, he, he questions, he really brings to question their motives, the, the people that have followed him around. And he makes a statement, he's like, well, you followed me around this late because you were fed the last time you saw me, and he was implying to them that they would be fed again, or they, that was their expectation, that's what they were looking for. In other words, they followed him to figure out what they could get out of it. And he was questioning, is that really a good motive? Is that really a good motive to be where they were and to have you know put themselves out as much as they did to follow after him and to be talking to him now? Is that really a motive that should be driving us? I know it's a really human motive. I get that. It's a people motive. Like we have that in us that we do things that benefit us that's honestly people that's who we are but jesus wanted to know is that a good spiritual motive is that a good motive to seek after him and follow after him and he put it to the test and here's how he put it to the test he told the crowd something they couldn't understand and what he told them is that if you really want to come after the Son of Man, you're going to have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Now this takes place after we're, we're reading tonight. He said, you've got to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And they all looked at each other like, what does he mean by that? Because cannibalism was completely against what they believed, completely against their cultural norms, completely against anything that they could see or would even remotely consider to be okay. Like, like most of us. I hope. We kind of share that. Alright. And so, and so when he said that, eat my flesh and drink my blood, if you want any part of me, the, the Bible says people just started leaving. And so they all started going, started going, started going. So he ends up with the twelve he started with. However many thousands followed him around there, he got rid of them just like that. Eat my flesh and drink my blood, they're gone. And, and the disciples, we're still standing there, and he said, well, aren't you going to leave too? And their, their response was, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? And so really what happens here is that there is a, a weeding out that takes place. And anybody that, that tries to tell me that Jesus was a one of those guys that he was just gathering people and he was you know really interested in that, and that was a big motivation for him was to gather people and all that. I, I just point to this one story where he did one of the best jobs ever of getting rid of a crowd of people. Ever. <laughs> I mean, just figured something out right away that was gonna offend everybody, everybody. Cause he could have said, if you want to follow after me, you have to marry your cousin. Now, some of them would have stayed. <laughs> right, because that doesn't offend everybody. <laughs> All right. It just doesn't. So, but he didn't say that. He found something that was completely and utterly universally offensive to every person that was there. It made that the requirement. And he told them, he said, and I don't want to make it seem like he was just chasing them off completely, but he did say, well, these words are spirit. In other words, what I'm telling you is a spiritual truth, not a physical truth, so you need to understand it spiritually, but they didn't want to hear that. They were just gone, because he universally offended every single one of them. And the disciples stayed only because they were completely hapless. They had nowhere else to go. They had nothing else to do. And so there you go. But he made a statement as he was answering their questions. And this was, I think, part of the reason why he ended up with the answer that he gave about eating his flesh and drinking his blood is what happened during this conversation right here. Because this is right in the middle of all that. This is right in the middle of this crowd finding him. In the middle of this crowd saying, asking him questions about what happened yesterday and, and how did they partake in that and how does this be a part of their life. And he's answering them. And I think somewhere in this conversation he realizes they just didn't care what he was really saying. That they had made up their minds about what they thought the answer was and whatever he was saying didn't matter. And so he... Spoke something, offended every one of them, and sent them on their way. Now here's the conversation that was going on. The question was, how do we do the works of God? That was the question that the crowd was asking Jesus after they found him. And what works do they mean? Well, what did they just see? What was their experience with Jesus and works? What did they see? What did they see that he had done? What was I talking about? Feeding the multitude, right. So they saw him feed the multitude. They saw, this is a, a miracle of a provision. They probably had heard about that he had performed healings over people. That was something that was widely known, widespread. Uh, they probably knew that he delivered people. That, that was part of his ministry. It was a ministry of deliverance. They probably knew those kind of things. They may have heard that he raised the dead. They may have known that. But they asked him, this was the this was the experience that they had with him, was that he, he fed the multitude. And so they asked this question, how, how do we do the works of God? Literally, that question was simply, what do we do? Right? So whatever's added to that interpretation onto it. But they wanted to know, what do we do? And they were giving meaning to some of the things that Jesus had just been saying. Some of the things that he had said while he was feeding them. Some of the things he said before that, and things that he had said as they found him. So he was literally giving some kind of structure to what he was saying. Because Jesus had just said, you need to work for meat that does not go bad. And what they said was, how do you do that? What do we do? So, they're asking a big question here. They're asking about miracles, signs, wonders, creative works, deliverance, healing... And what they wanted to know is, what steps do we need to take? Isn't that the human response? If you want to know how to do something, the human thing, the thing we look for is, okay, give me three steps. Give me five steps. Give me directions. We like our directions in order. Go to point A, B, C, D. Go five miles. We like the GPS to tell us exactly what to do. We like directions. We want to know. We want to know what we're supposed to do. We love step-by-step things. When we ask questions, just as people, it's just something we like. You know, you ask a question of somebody and they start telling you philosophically why you want to know this or how you do it philosophically. It's frustrating for most people when we do that. We want to know what are the steps that we need to take. And people will torment themselves with that for years and decades maybe for their whole lives. If I just knew what to do, if I just knew what the next step was, if I just knew what he was looking for, if I just knew what he wanted me to do, what's the steps? What am I supposed to do? They torment themselves with God with that stuff. They torment themselves with other people with that. They torment themselves with their bosses. They torment themselves with the expectations of others. We as people will torment ourselves trying not to make a mistake, but to do the right thing, meaning we want to know exactly what the next step is going to be because we don't want to mess it up. And it will paralyze us and it will torture us moving forward. A whole lot of the New Testament is devoted to steering us away from this kind of a question. A whole bunch of it. A whole bunch of it. A whole bunch of the teachings of Jesus are steering people away from this a whole bunch of the teachings of Paul are steering people away from this kind of an idea the three steps the five steps the the ten or or whatever it's going to be and the idea of us torturing ourselves with those kind of things I think of that guy uh, the the kid that came to Jesus the young man who came to Jesus uh, Matthew 1920 if you want to turn there but uh, somebody read that Matthew 1920. Yeah, this is the young man, he came to Jesus and he's like, so what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus sensed what was going on there, he he started naming off a bunch of stuff, A, B, C, D. And the the young man's like, okay, I've done all those things. (coughs) Had he really done all those things? No. But Jesus gave him the answer he was looking for. Was that the real answer? It wasn't the real answer. If that was the real answer, Jesus wouldn't have come. If keeping the law was what that guy needed to do in order to know God, if keeping the law is what that guy needed to do in order to have eternal life, then Jesus wouldn't, he wouldn't have even showed up. That was already in place. And so he, he says to the guy, yeah, A, B, and C, and the guy's like, yeah, I've done all these things. He's like, oh, yeah, well, one thing you lack. What was it? You remember? Sell everything. Sell everything you have. Give to the poor. In other words, you need to put your trust in me. Not much you have. And so fundamentally, this question is going to be answered, whether it's the rich young man, or whether it's here in John chapter 6, or whether it's the Apostle Paul, or whoever it is that's trying to redirect our thinking. Fundamentally, our thinking needs to be redirected to not do A, B, and C, not perform this, this, and this, not do this, this, and this. Fundamentally, it needs to be redirected to trust and faith. And in the sense that we're going to use it tonight, most of the time, faith and trust are the same thing in this sense. And so what God continues to do, what Jesus is doing and what Paul is doing is redirecting us to get us thinking differently about what it is that God's looking for from us that what is pleasing what does he like what does he care about and I like to use that phrase what does he care about because I think sometimes we we mix up the other kind of emotional phrases when we try to think about it and we say well what does he like or you know I I feel like I'm ordering ice cream or something but it's like what does he care about like what's he looking for Because that's really what we're wondering. And it comes down to what Jesus said and what we see other places in the New Testament. It comes down to trust. This young man, he comes up. What do I do? Same question these people in John 6 were asking. You hear the same question going on in Matthew chapter 19. You hear these questions throughout. And the question is, what do I do? What do I do? (coughs) And the answer is, trust. Trust. We want it to be something else. In fact, we may even hear it to be something else, but it's trust. So Jesus made this multitude very happy. Everybody benefited with his most popular miracle. It was probably, you know, it's probably like a number one. Number two was probably when he changed the water into wine. Because likely a few hundred people benefited from that. So they liked that. So that was popular too. But these were thousands of people. So it was pretty popular. But their admiration of him was mistaken. Was mistaken. And so as Jesus finished up what he was saying, he was supposed to work for meat that does not go bad. And then they said, well, what do we do? <clears throat> he said the work of God is to believe in Him or trust in Him. That was Jesus' answer. Faith is a work. How? Well, let me ask you a question. Are faith and works opposites? See, Most of you don't have enough of a classical, uh, and this is not a put-down, most of you don't have enough of a classical theological training to believe that they're opposites. But if you were brought up in a certain kind of church in a certain kind of time, you were taught that <coughs> faith is what you need and works are stupid. And what Jesus is saying here, and I, I'm really super making that simple, but uh, the, the whole idea of justification by faith, uh, Martin Luther not if you're breathing. Uh, you know, okay. So, so classical theology, you come down the line on that, they, they make faith and works to be enemies. They're not. Uh, it's just how we're interpreting it, or how we're seeing it. And, and so they're not opposites or anything else. So I say faith is a work. Well, that makes sense. The work of him, the work of our work, that, that we want to know God and we want to serve him, we want to do the stuff that we see Jesus doing here. We want to live that way we got to trust him that's our work see we want it to be like three steps to it but it's not three steps we need to trust him so so how does that practically play out well think about the gifts of the holy spirit how do you move in the gift of the holy spirit one day something's got to happen right what's going to happen that day when you move in that gift of the Holy Spirit? you're going to be sitting around somewhere in a church service <clears throat> or standing or you're out on the street and we're going around and we're doing some evangelism with people and you're going to get a word or you're going to think you're going to get a word or you're going to get a word maybe the or something or you think you got something and a moment's got to come and that moment might come and you, you just don't nah, i'm not going to do that and you let it go and maybe it comes again, you let it go. It comes again, maybe. But one day, one day, you're going to put a little bit of trust into that. You're going to put a little bit of faith in that, and you're going to step out, you're going to say what you're going to say, and God's going to use you, and you're going to move in that gift, and you're going to grow in that moment, spiritually. Something's going to happen. And so, you get you, the next time you go to do it, you trust Him that time, He came through, you're going to trust Him again you might be more likely. You may not step up and just do it right away, but eventually you're probably going to do it again, and you're going to trust Him more that time, trust Him more that time, and trust Him more that time. It's going to happen. That's how we move. That's how we grow spiritually. How we begin to move in faith. how, How God speaks to us, or how God shows us how He's going to provide into our lives. Some things don't make any sense to my brain. And yeah, God says, this is what I'm going to do. And he does it. And then the next time I'm in that situation, oh, God did it that time. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to believe him to do it again. He does it again. And then trust is being built during that. It's like when people say, I'll meet you at 3 o'clock, and they actually show up. You know, the first time, you may not know. Second time, oh, they came again. That's awesome. Third time, wow, it's a regular thing. Trust is being built. Trust is fundamental, though, to our society. It's fundamental to us as humans. We live in relationship, whether we want to or not. And I mean, I'm sure there's true hermits out there. I had an opportunity to uh, walk past uh, what the remains of a hermitage, one of the last hermits in the Adirondack Mountains when I was on the uh, Northville Placid Trail, on the middle of nowhere, and as this was the guy lived near the Cold River, and it was kind of the, the last bits of his house, and there were some of his pots and pans all piled up together, and some of his stuff where his uh, chimney used to be in the house. And I just looked at that, and I, I was thinking about what that means, and what it means to live as a hermit. But even the hermit, even that guy depended on, certain times, commerce, people, supplies. we It's hard to really live just us. And so trust becomes a part of our life whether we want it to or not. I mean, commerce depends on a certain level of trust. I mean, how do you make a deal? How do you buy something? I, I don't know. How you sign a contract? How do you sell a car? How do you buy a car? I don't know. It's just all part of it. Would well, you take a car in to get repaired? Who do you take it to? And how do you know? Find a guy with a mullet and take your car to him. That's correct. That's sound advice. Sound advice. Words to live by, really. So so commerce, uh, travel, there's certain amount of trust in travel. I mean, you, you go, you buy your ticket, so, and then you go to the place and you got to show them your ticket. You might give them your luggage, Let's say you're flying. your luggage goes away on a conveyor belt, and guys that you don't even want to know are handling your luggage over at the airport and will not tell you to do No, no. But you don't even know. I mean, these people they, they, can they read? I don't know. Patrick, can they read? Some of them. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully yours gets handled by the guy that can. Yeah, but I quit, so. You know. Yeah. <laughs> it was in the past, man. It was in the past. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just saying, there's a certain level of trust that your luggage is going to show up where it's supposed to show up. It's a certain level of trust with the pilot. I mean, you ever eat at a restaurant? Yeah. Certain level of trust there in there. They are handling your food, right? Yeah. Anybody ever work in a restaurant? Yeah, I have too. Yeah, boy. All right. Uh, Yeah. Uh, So there's a certain amount of trust. Or we willingly suspend our (laughs) disbelief or whatever, you know, to enjoy a meal, Okay. But how about driving? Yeah. Shopping, eating. Well, it's, it's just a certain amount of trust in life, whether we want to or not. And and that's going to be true of our spiritual life too. And if God's going to move through us regularly, if God's going to move through us regularly, then there's going to have to be a trust that's built. You can do nothing in your own strength, spiritually. And then, I mean, and you can do a lot of nothing. It could take all your time and effort, too. And a lot of your money, do nothing. But the real something that God cares about is really trusting Him and believing Him. And this is where, what I'm trying to say is that it, it takes a change of perspective you know i hear you know people talking about you know i'm doing this or i'm doing my best or i'm acting this way or i'm really trying this or really trying that and and i've not come to the place in my life where and i never came from this place and neither have i ever reached this place where i think god even cares about most of that stuff again i'll say that i didn't come out of that That was never presented to me as, oh, God will be really happy with you if you do A, B, and C. Never even thought of that until I heard other people talking about it. And I think I saw Guido Sarducci, the Saturday Night Live priest back in the 70s. I heard him talking about it. If you don't know him, you can YouTube him. Don't bother, but you could. And I thought I heard him talking about it, but the concept seemed completely laughable to me. I thought it was a comedy sketch, which I guess it was, but... People really believe that stuff. But it seems laughable. Like in other words, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Like what are what action are you going to perform that is going to make God really really happy with you? I don't know. You going to help that old lady across the street? He's going to be really happy with you about that? I don't know. I never thought of it that way. I might help the old lady across the street, but it's not because I think God's going to be really happy with me about it. It's probably the thing to do, but it has nothing to do with God being super pleased with me or give me a big pat on the back. I don't get I don't get extra points for that. All right. And then there's lots of things that we do with our life, and and lots of things that I, I believe that are a part of who we are as we grow and we live with him and grow and live together that are awesome things but it's not like I'm fooling myself that wow that's gonna really make the difference it's gonna put me over the top with God all right hey god remember that time like I helped that lady remember that time that guy's dog ran away and I caught him for him he was really happy about that yeah Do I really believe I'm gonna bring that up no <laughs> I'm just making it up I don't know. I think I've ever done that. I have no idea. But I, I, how do you bring that up, or why would you? The works that God looks for in us is trust. We want to be like him. We want to grow. We want to be used. We want to be productive in the kingdom. We really want to have something going on that means something. It's going to start with some kind of trust, and it's going to end with some kind of trust, and there's got to there's something that needs to grow in that. How do you grow in relationship with anybody? I mean, really. How are we going to grow in our relationship? How do you grow in a friendship? How do you grow in a marriage? How do you grow in a relationship? I mean, there has to be some kind of trust that's being built and that continues to be built. There's nothing more deadly to relationships than when trust is broken. And it is really hard to fix that. Really hard. Trust is foundational to that. And so not only are we getting a lesson from Jesus about this is what God's looking for, but this is what the whole world's looking for. That's what friendships, that's what our relationships are built upon. Is that kind of trust and that kind of life together. And and knowing who you can count on and knowing who cares about you. And building that with one another I mean really building that with one another gonna look at a few more <clears throat> verses here somebody look up Habakkuk 2 four and somebody else while well, that's going on Galatians 56. Okay, Habakkuk 2 4. Okay, so righteousness in these verses is tied to faith or trust. And that's the idea that we see coming over from even the Old Testament. And that verse is quoted a couple times in the New Testament. Where the just or the righteous shall live by faith or live by trust. That's what's going to matter. But how many times do you really think about being righteous or or maybe from where you came from? Think about what that was tied to in your mind. Think about what that has been tied to. If I use the word righteous with you, you should be righteous. What's that tied to in your brain? If you come out of a church situation or some kind of religious background, that's tied to, it could be anything. It could be the way you dress. It could be what you listen to. It could be the way you speak. It could be being at church on Sundays. It could be with tithing. It could be with the way you act. It could be whatever. I mean, you could tell me. I don't even know. What do you think of when you think of righteousness? What's it tied to? Or what has it been tied to in your brain? Anybody want to tell me? What you do. All right? Like what? Moral behavior. behavior. Did Sister Agnes teach you that, Kim? (laughs) With a ruler? (laughs) I don't want to bring up any bad memories there. Yeah. And, and, And that's what it's been tied to. And yet, what you see going on from even the Old Testament through the New Testament and the rise of Paul is the untying of that. If that was going to work, it would have worked by now. In fact, it would have worked by the time Jesus came along. It didn't work. The law was an abject failure when it came to bringing people closer to God, which is his objective. The law is an abject failure at that. that, is a proved failure, continual failure, never worked, never is going to work, and doesn't work now. That is clearly, clearly written about through the Old and then into the New Testament in the Bible. It's also obvious in our own lives that if the law was going to work, it would have worked by now. Now, you think about that. That's spiritually. I'm just talking, those are spiritual laws I'm talking about. This is what God laid down, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, whatever, laying down all those laws. I mean, what about laws that we have in our society? Right? Now, Even good people, let's say you're going to define good people. How are you going to define good people? Those who keep the law mostly (laughs) or sort of? Who only break little ones? I mean, who keeps the whole law? I don't. I just drove from Massachusetts here on Saturday. I was breaking the law the whole way back. I was breaking more than one law, on the way back. Yeah. Well, right. The key question is, however. <laughs> no. No. Doesn't count. Didn't count. Right. All right. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Everybody, I'm good. All right. See, this whole line of thinking, and I understand you have order in society and all that stuff, whatever. This whole line of thinking, though, it doesn't work. It's never worked. It's still not working, especially spiritually. This just doesn't work. So whatever that tie is in our brains, and like I said, I didn't come from it. I'm not going to it, so I don't have the tie. But I know people do have that tie in their brain, and it really needs to be untied or broken or somehow those things need to be separated because what does work what really really does work is trusting him uh and i don't mean trusting him all at once i mean putting yourself in a position where trust can be built like with any other relationship that's how it's going to happen and that's how it works From my experience, that's how people's lives change. That's how better decisions are made. That's how people can look at situations differently and live their lives differently. It's not by keeping a set of rules, regulations, laws, or anything else. It's entering into relationship with the God of the universe that changes everything. And I can't do that by keeping... A rule. I can't do that by, by making sure I'm keeping a law or something like that. I can't, I can't do that. I know I can't do that. And so you go from, I'm trying to keep every aspect of the law to, I hope I don't get caught. <coughs> Which really, especially spiritually, that is never the issue. Ever. And so somehow we gotta unmarry those ideas. So that we're thinking in terms of relationship, we're thinking in terms of the idea of trust and building trust within the framework of a real relationship with Jesus, with God. And that's what's going to change things. These people that Jesus is talking to in John 6, they, they, they could not separate those ideas in their head. They had, it had been pounded into their minds, pounded into their heads, it's the time they were little, little, little kids and they were not in a position at this point in their lives, for whatever reason, to separate those two things. Couldn't do it. But what was required, and Jesus is speaking what was required, was trusting him. That's what it was going to be. That's what was going to happen. Okay, Galatians 5, 6. Alright, again, here's Paul. So I went from the Old Testament, that's Habakkuk, to Jesus. I went from Jesus to the Old Testament, now here to the uh, letters to the church in Galatia. from Paul, he's like, what matters? Well, circumcision was the one thing that separated the Jewish people from every other nation, every other people. It was the sign that God... Was on their side; they were God's people. That was their sign. All right. And so Paul is saying, and he was Jewish himself, a Pharisee, in in the past. He was saying to them, "Yeah, that stuff doesn't matter. That doesn't matter." And that was like a super precious thing to them. That was really important to them. And he's just saying, "Ah, yeah, it doesn't matter. The law doesn't matter." Circumcision doesn't matter. All that stuff doesn't matter. Say like, What matters? What do you say there? Faith? Trust? That's what he's talking about. He's trying to break those ideas from each other. It must be hard because you keep seeing it every now and then in the Bible. Somebody trying to break those ideas from each other. It must be a difficult thing for us. Because we love the three steps. We love the five steps. We love the seven steps. We want to know. I will do these things and everything will be okay. Yeah, it's not really it. You'll trust him. I hope. Then everything will be okay. But it's from the context of relationship that's going to happen. Well, we don't. That's messy. That's really messy. I don't like that. Well, then how do you know when you're really in relationship? I don't know. Well, how do you know when you're really trusting? You start doing stuff he tells you. That's how you know. Well, when's enough? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. See how messy that is? How do you know it's him? I don't know. Give it a shot. Messy, 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 messy. Well, what if I just do half of it, but I don't do all of it? Does it still count? I don't know. Still messy. It's messy. That's all messy. So all this stuff is really messy in our brains because we can't just look at it and say, bang, I did A, B, and C. Give me my reward. I worked eight hours. Give me my pay. Yeah, It's not like that. Not like that at all. It's relationship. Relationships are messy. Friendships are messy. Yeah. Boyfriends and girlfriends. Messy. Messy. Messy, Jovan. It's really messy. Stay away from that. Stay away from that. You don't want that. Messy. Get married. More mess. Yeah. It's more messy. Yeah. I mean, it's good. It's good. Married, marriage is good and honorable. It's good. Messy, though. It's kind of messy. It just is. But there's lots of good things in life that are messy. Yeah. Sloppy Joes, yeah. Giant turkey legs are messy. They, yeah, they're coming up Saturday. What else is messy? S'mores is messy. What? Ice cream on the hot day. Ice cream is still good though, right? Hot wings. Hot wings. They're messy. Finger painting. Finger painting's messy. Yeah. How about having a baby that's pretty messy <laughs> yeah 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 that's messy yeah there's lots of messy things in the world I mean it's just the way it is. a lot of great things are messy. can't always have things neat and if you're if you're kind of one of those people that everything has to be neat sorry yeah yeah it doesn't work out that way all the time. Yeah, we, uh, we've we had our share through the years of people come through here that are OCD. We're messy, yeah. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard, really, yeah, yeah, because things aren't that way. But so what I want to, what I really want to just talk about with this and what I kind of want to bring us toward uh, conclusively or toward the conclusion of is the idea that as we're working through what God has for us, we can't keep trying to put him into a comfortable framework for ourselves. Uh, He doesn't really go in our framework. And, And so that becomes difficult for us if that's our happy place. When in fact, we need to find some kind of rest and some kind of peace in his framework and the life that He's offering us. Somebody look at uh, Romans 10.4. Good buddy. <laughs> Funny, that's popped in my head. <laughs> I knew somebody would. <laughs> Romans 10.4. Alright, so, again, all right, this is a whole different church. Paul, again, right into the Romans. Christ is the what? The end of the law. Alright? So that everybody, everybody can be righteous through faith or trust in Him. So again, you see this theme coming through that what? Is, is tied to these ideas in our head is wrong. It needs to be untied. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Take on something new. Take on something different in the way that you're going to see things. And as you do that, you're going to experience God differently. No matter how nice you are, you're not going to be righteous. You're just not in your own self. That's going to come through trusting Him and, and, and really living in that trust. It's not going to come through some kind of, some kind of crash course and being a nice guy. It's not. Stop it. Stop it. When people used to come around and say, how do you guys call yourself Christians but you do A, B, and C? That used to confuse me so much. I could not figure that out. It's like A, B, and C? What do you mean? Don't you do those things? Well, yeah, but I don't call myself a Christian. Okay? I couldn't make those two things connect because they're not connected in my head. I made the disconnect somehow, or it never was connected or something, but I know people connect those things in their head. The basis of my life in Christ is my relationship with Jesus. The basis of anything to call myself a Christian is based on is trusting Him and living in, in, in Him. Period. I don't have any other basis. I don't have any claim. And if somebody thinks that me being a good guy or me doing or not doing A, B, and C, or D, E, and F, or X, Y, and Z, and that's going to be the basis of whatever claim I'm going to make as a Christian, is sorely mistaken. It has nothing to do with it in my head. I really had to learn how people think, but not think that way myself in order to understand it. And I want to encourage you to come into my ignorance with me and the ignorance of some other people that have been here and and maybe didn't come out of a a church background that never had to deal with any of these things. Step into that that kind of ignorant place, I guess, if you want to call it that. Simplicity, just what Jesus said, it's just life. The last part of this and the last thing I'll share with you is that the end result of all this, the end result of trusting Jesus, the end result of building a relationship with him, the end result of growing in that relationship, of allowing that trust to really blossom in our lives is that we get the bread of life all the time. So what were these people looking for? They were looking for the bread all the time. What did he tell them? Trust me. Have faith. Yeah, we don't like that. So what did they get? Nothing. You want to trust him, you want to have faith, you get the bread of life. And that's the end result. That's the, that's the end of the story here. Is that we, we're just going to trust you. We're just going to come to a place in our life where we're going to trust you. Maybe today it's a little itty-bitty kind of trust. Maybe not for much of anything. But maybe 10 years from now, we're trusting you with providing for our families. Ten years from now, we're trusting you with providing me with a mode of transportation because I need a car and I'm really believing, God, that you're going to provide me with that. Or maybe ten years from now, we're trusting him with our future, our retirement, or trusting him as we pack up our stuff and we head overseas to, to serve him in some other field or whatever it is, or we leave our current job to go take a different job because that's what God said, but we're trusting him enough to do that. And that may not be today. But that might be in a year or three years or five years or ten years when our relationship blossoms in that way. See, we get the bread of life every day that way. We're not just looking for a quick fix. We're not just looking for that, oh, wow, I got fed yesterday. Maybe he'll do it again. But we're living with him. And the bread of life is evident and it's real and it's filling us up all the time. That's where he wants us to be. That's where he's calling us to be. That's where he's calling these people to be. That's where Habakkuk was calling the people to be as he prophesied. That's where Paul was calling the churches to be as he was writing back to the churches, saying the same things over and over again. That's what he was trying to do. That's the call that was going out. That's the life that he has for us. That's how he wants us to live. That's who he wants us to be. Trust him. I don't have a lot of trust today. fine. Start with a little bit. Like you just met somebody and you're finding out, man, do I even like this person? I don't know. But you at least take maybe take a little bit of time and talk to him and find a little something about them. It's good. That's how we do things. It's how it works. It's just Jesus. I know that's a little weird because maybe what you have in your head about Jesus but that's Okay. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. Start putting some trust somewhere. If you've been around long enough, you've been in situations where Jesus told you something, and you either did it or you didn't, probably you've done both those things, right? Trust Him. Just learn to trust Him a little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit more. See what happens. See what happens. Anybody have any questions, comments, anything you want to throw out there? Yeah, I just made that part up. Uh, no, what I was saying is, is that uh, we... can make it up again. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I'm talking about is that we're trying to make God fit into our structure, like our comfort zone. And the idea is, it's like, well, okay, God, you need to do things this way, this way, and this way, because that's how I'm comfortable. And really, that's not the idea behind it. He's drawing us into his reality. He's drawing us into his zone, which may be a little bit uncomfortable for us. But ultimately, that's a better place to live. Because what you find out is if we are really insistent on our own structure for people to uh, interact with us, we're limiting really who can get into that space. We're really uh, limiting our place of relationship, influence, life, and shared life with other people. And so coming into the way he does things opens that door a lot wider than we can open from within our own little structures. Even though it seems more comfortable to us at the time. Because it probably is for whatever our sensibilities are but that's not God's sensibilities. Anybody else with a comment or a question? Alright, let's wrap this thing up and put a bow on it. All right, Father, thanks for just your word to us, and I thank you for simplicity that you've caused us to live in. I I pray that we can begin to really dismantle some connections that need to be dismantled in our minds, in our hearts, things that maybe were taught us as children, things that maybe we heard or that have influenced our lives, but that are not going to lead us anywhere. They're failures. They're things that have failed. We already know this. It's not going to work this time. It's never going to work. So, God, I pray that you'd you'd help us to begin to break some of those ties, begin to break some and dismantle some of that structure in our minds, in our hearts that keep us in that place that's going to keep failing. It's really a place of frustration. It's a place of of anger. It's a place of frustration. It's a place where it just doesn't seem like anything is going to make any sense. Why bother? I pray we can begin to see that broken down, and and God, I pray that we could hear your gentle call into trust and relationship with you. And I just ask Jesus that we'd start wherever we are tonight, in that that place of trust, that place, God, that small place, and and just let it grow, in a very organic way, just let it grow. And, and see what happens. Because God, I say thanks that you you love us so much. You care for us so much. You want a relationship with us so much. But you're going to wait for us. And so I, I just pray that we just take our time. And just do what needs to be done to build a really solid and meaningful relationship with you. Cause it's a fact that's gonna affect our lives for the better. It's a fact that that's gonna change things for the better. And so God, I just ask you that we'd uh, take the time to invest into it. Even if it's just a little, little bit at a time. Thanks God. Thanks. Thank you that you're faithful. Thank you that you're true. And, uh, God, I just want to say thanks for your love tonight that you just keep pouring out, pouring out, pouring out on us. I just ask uh, that we respond to you. (laughs) I ask you in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. amen.